today on Ag News Daily. I, tr- I try to keep my mind thinking. I do listen to a lot of music. You know, chill me out. But there's only so much music you can listen to there. Um, a lot of TikTok. I gotta stay off. Like I gotta limit myself to the TikTok because that thing can suck you in. Right. Get get a nice deep wormhole there of uh, entertainment. Well, listeners, today's October 28th Friday episode is brought to you by Red Summit Advisors and farmingtheweb.ca. Create your first listing today and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Tana Winterhoff joined by Delaney Howell on this Friday Farmer Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Right, Delaney? That's right. We're going to talk to a very special friend of the podcast for you, Will, I should say, Corey Hillebo. Absolutely. And I would, I would put emphasis on the special part of the friend. Uh, <laughs> hmm, is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> no, he's uh, no stranger to the podcast, obviously co-host of mine on the Farm for Profit podcast. So full of, full of personality and uh, certainly gives us some perspective on what things look like here in Central Iowa. Absolutely. But harvest certainly is wrapping up here quickly, Tanner. So we may not have too many Farmer Fridays left from farmers in the field. That's right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Harvest Progress Report looks like next week. But I would say as as long as weather stays like it is, there's not going to be a whole lot left. Yes, absolutely. But kicking things off here with some news, Tanner, dry conditions continue to impact Of course, the Midwest, but all phases of U.S. agricultural production as 10 acres in the continental U.S. is now considered to be in a drought condition. Tanner, they're saying this dry, these dry conditions, the extent of this conditions is on par with what we saw in 2012 as drought expanded this week, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, with now 63 percent of the U.S. experiencing some sort of drought conditions. Of course, there's A three, excuse me, four different levels of drought. So some of them may not be any severe level of drought, but all in all, that's a 3% increase that we saw compared to the week prior and also the highest that it's been since 2012. Yeah, that drought map has been circulating all across Twitter and TikTok and Snapchat. Um, I don't think there's a lot of surprise. I think more of the surprise is those not realizing how dry it is in other parts of the country. But in our backyard, we certainly know that that eight tenths of an inch of rain that we got on Monday, it was dusty again right away the next day. So it's definitely still a lot of areas, especially uh, those out in the western central portion of the U.S. could use some rain. The other group that not necessarily could use some rain, but maybe use some organization is the railway unions. The Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen, BRS, became the second union behind the Brotherhood of Maintenance and Way Employees Division to vote down the proposed terms as they had ballots received in with 60% of the members saying, no, do not approve of the presented contract agreement to the rail union. Tally to date, six units, six unions have voted yes. To ratify the tentative agreement, four unions have not received or reached a decision yet, and now two unions have said no. To avoid a strike, all 12 rail unions must approve the contract with the railroads, and there now will be more negotiations to be done here in November. 
as those who have voted no can express what they would like to see added into this. So I didn't realize that, Delaney, and maybe I just didn't listen when you reported on it earlier, that all 12 mm-hmm. of the union divisions had to vote yes. I thought it was more of a majority item. So that was the the new headline to me is I didn't realize it had to be unanimously voted for in favor. Yes, and that's kind of the big takeaway or the big piece here that's really kind of driving the conversation and some of the concern around it is because of that unanimous vote. Yeah, that uh, that's going to take a lot because uh, now, especially with two already setting precedents, um, that's not just one set of terms to negotiate into. Now you have two different parties yes. that are looking for more. Well, Taylor, this is an interesting piece of news as well. On Wednesday, I'm not sure how we missed this piece of news, but Wednesday into Thursday, I'm not sure if it happened Wednesday in Russia or Wednesday in the U.S., but regardless, a senior Russian foreign ministry official made some interesting comments in front of the media referring to the Western use of satellites in above Ukraine. They made some really provocative comments saying that they thought it was extremely an extremely dangerous trend that the U.S. had satellites above Ukraine. And reading between the lines here, Tanner, it sounds a little bit like a warning to the Western portion of the world that they can target commercial satellites. And the satellite in particular here that we're referring to is the SpaceX Starlink satellite, which has been used by Ukrainian soldiers for communications and synthetic aperture radar satellites that they've been using during this ongoing conflict with Russia. Um, So they didn't come out and say, we're going to target your satellites, but they certainly made some interesting remarks in regards to that. Yeah, that's, is it just more of a, hey, we know you have them comment, or is there more of a long-term strategy against that? Well, I think that's the big question mark here. Based on some of the comments that are headlines in the media, it sounds like they're maybe more threatening a little bit. Interesting. Well, pretty much the rest of my news as I hit in here has to deal with fuel of some kind. Obviously, the threat of diesel supplies and shortages looming. The Biden administration has now stepped up saying that it will import impart a committee to keep a close watch on the diesel inventories working to boost those supplies even though they should have seen that item coming as far as stocks depleting. Reserves have been depleted and could run out of fuel in less than a month if they're not replenished. The Energy Information Administration reported that as of October 14th, the U.S. only had 25 days of diesel supply left in reserves. Now the National Economic Council Director Brian Deese has acknowledged to Bloomberg that that's unacceptably low and Biden has now established a crew to begin rebuilding those stocks. The EIA also said the distillate fuel includes heating oil inventories, which is 20% below the five-year average for this time of the year, but again, continues to monitor all heating oil supplies because the Northeast has already been rationing heating oil as temperatures have dropped earlier in the year. So that weather that we were talking about delaying is putting a little bit of uh, a hamper on things. However, when you jump across the pond, prices are down for heating oil and natural gas. Supplies are good. Europe's gas crisis might have been averted. 
the in Berlin not long ago, German officials were locked into agonizing debates over which in an industry should be cut off from natural gas. But today, their supplies and storage facilities are almost full to the brim, and prices are dropping sharply. Europe's energy crisis is feeling somewhat less urgent now. But if you look back four months, that wasn't the story. We had reported on that, Delaney. But now their gas storage is 97.7% full, and European stocks are at 93.8%. So maybe we could take a look at what they've done over there to get our diesel shortage back Mm -hmm. in check. Well, I think part of it too, Tanner, is they've been working really hard to stockpile because this year sounds like they're going to be taken care of, but next year is really kind of where the big concern comes into play. Right, exactly. Well, Tanner, speaking of next year, we're starting to see the winter weather outlook for the 22-23 winter season, and it appears that a La Nina pattern will be in control for the third straight season here in the Northern Hemisphere winter season. We'll definitely have to have Eric Snodgrass on here sometime sooner, maybe Ed Valley to chat about weather, Tanner, because it's been quite some time since we've had a long-term forecast update But the last two La Nina winters featured strong clipper patterns for much of the season and some incredible extreme temperature swings. They're suggesting that the upcoming winter is likely to display many of those same features. But apparently there are some differences that we could expect this year as opposed to the last two. The biggest difference being a colder December, which I'm not so excited about. Yeah, I was hoping you'd say something different. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, you know, I think we've been fairly lucky the last two seasons. But the other side of that is we just haven't had a lot of snow coverage. So as you look at where we're at with the U.S. drought monitor, I think that's a large portion of it is because there was not a lot of subsoil moisture. So we could definitely use some additional snow this year. Yes, I think we would all take that. Well, let's pause here real quick for a message from our sponsor today. Hey, this is Ann over at the BLM. With this drought, we're going to need to cut that permit two weeks early. We sure want those calves, but they'll be coming in light, so we'll need to negotiate. Hey, this is your Red Summit Advisors agent. We've got a check in the mail to you now from your PRF policy. Help restore your peace of mind with solutions like pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. Visit RedSummit.com or call 1-800-825-2355 to talk with a local agent about how PRF insurance could help you stay afloat this year. Coming back from that ad, wanted to hit real quick on ethanol output. Ethanol production jumped to the highest level in almost three months, and inventories rose in the last seven days ending October 21st. Output averaged 1,033,000 barrels per day, up from the 1,016,000 the week earlier. This is the highest since the week ending July 29th. Ethanol stockpiles also rose to 22.291 million barrels, up from 21.84 million earlier in this week. Remember, listeners, if you are looking to quickly and effectively buy or sell agricultural products or get the word out about your ag event, avoid the headache of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca, the best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. Well, Delaney. 
after that ad, that is all I've got for news today. Do you have anything else to add before we get into markets? I have just a little bit of an update here on China. A couple of pieces of China-related news. One was the USDA confirmed this morning a large shipment of soybeans for the 22-23 marketing year, 126,000 tons headed to China, as well as 198,000 tons heading to Spain. Sandra, but we're also seeing the aftermath here of the Chinese Communist Party Congress meeting, which happens every five years. And during the meeting of Congress, they make changes to the Constitution. And so we're starting to see some of those intended changes being released now to the mainstream media. And one of the largest changes that they have decided to make was a significant change in the wording related to Taiwan. The revised text affirmed the need to elevate the people's armed forces to world-class standards and a pledge to oppose and deter separatists seeking the Taiwanese independence. So it sounds like they are really kind of upping the ante there, Tanner, and really moving forward with the idea that they may have to have military action to defend their claim over Taiwan. Oh, interesting. I'm glad you provided that update. It, I know that I'm sure we're going to hear more headlines coming out of that sector of the world, but uh, something again for us to keep our eyes on. Absolutely. But another thing to keep our eyes on this morning, Tanner, is, of course, the commodity markets, which as we take a look at the screen this morning, certainly got a lot of red on the screen here in the early morning. Corn markets posting some early lows here at the open down four and a half cents in the new crop December contract at 678. New crop soybeans down 10 cents on the morning at 1372 and a quarter. December Chicago wheat down about seven and a half pennies here at the open at 831. And in livestock today, Tanner, we are seeing a little bit of mixed trade here as the December live cattle contract down 27 and a half cents at a buck 53, where feeder cattle are trading higher this morning, 45 cents higher in the November contract at a buck 78, 57 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the December lean hog contract up a dollar oh two on the morning at 8615. Tanner, without further ado, we've got to kick it over to your conversation with Corey Hillebo. Hey, listeners, we're sticking here in central Iowa, not too far from the Ag News Daily headquarters for our farmer, Friday from the field edition here this week on the Ag News Daily podcast. We are talking October, uh-oh, what day 28th. is it? 28th about harvest progress in Iowa. Got a good friend and listener of the Ag News Daily Podcast, Corey Hillebo, also known as Corn, Pork, and Beans on social media. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Corey. Thanks for having me, Tanner. How you doing? Hey, I'm pretty good. We've only spent the last four hours together, but why don't we check in and see how your family farm is going? So tell us where you're at and what types of crops your family is growing. Yep. So Polk City, Iowa... I live in Slater, Iowa, technically, but the farm's in Polk City, growing corn, soybeans. We were growing aronia berries, not anymore, and uh, we are weaned to finish hogs as well. Okay, so what? how has harvest been for you this fall? So we were naturally later than normal um, with the late spring that we had, but once we got started, we have not stopped because it 
has not rained um, very much. So today actually marks one month since we got started harvesting. We did get a little bit of rain on Monday uh, early afternoon, which uh, kept us out of the field for a day or so, which was kind of nice. Yeah. So what are you seeing in the fields? Are you better than expected? Average? How are things checking out? We are pleasantly surprised with yields. Uh, let me start that over. We are pleasantly surprised with yields. Um, I was, I'll be the first to admit I was pretty down, um, throughout the summer. Uh, we, we didn't plant until May 16th or 17th and then even fought rain and mud. I literally wore the lettering off the sidewalls of the tires of the planter, um, because of the mud that we were dragging it through. And I told dad as we were harvesting, if you would have been in that planter tractor, you would have never, ever thought we'd be close to the yields that we were dragging in. Now, they're not last year's yields. Don't sure. get me wrong. But we are, I would say, APH and above. So would you say in your neighborhood everybody's kind of in about the same position you are for crop percentage harvested? Or is there some areas that are behind? I, I would say that I would say we are probably actually behind um, just because of the later harvest. We were in that little, that little pocket. Um, we're about... 70, 75%, um, somewhere in there. I know some guys that are done. Um, know some that are maybe a little bit further behind, but, um, for the most part, I would say that 60 to 75% should catch most of it. So does your fall routine include anhydrous application? And if so, do you have any concerns? Cause we've talked a lot on this podcast about dry field conditions. Yeah. What are you thinking for fall applied anhydrous? We are usually a fall anhydrous application farm. And we are well under um, our regular moisture. It is very dry. It's apparent. Um, the rain that we did get earlier this week soaked in real fast. And uh, we are concerned. Um, doesn't mean we're not going to try um, because we are locked in <laughs> with prices. And we've done. We've tried going down that route before where uh, you lock in anhydrous prices and then you don't get it applied in the fall. Well, the contracts get ripped up and um, can be a pretty bad deal if you try to, you know, half if you have to buy in the spring. So hopefully the stuff is steals. Hopefully we get some more moisture before that happens. Yeah. Like I said, you got 25, 30% of your harvest left. So there's still a little chance here. We might get some more rain. Although the forecast in our portion of the state doesn't look fantastic. Did you have to battle any wet corn this fall? Yep. That's probably a, uh, that was a double edged sword, right? Like since we got planted later, our crops were matured later, but we were also able to take advantage of the little, that, that rain that came right before a farm progress show because that was the only rain we got in August. And I think it was like three inches. So I think that's where a lot of the, our yield came from. But in return, now we have wet corn. So we're up against the dryer and that's kind of what, uh, has slowed our progress down. Yeah. And I think there's quite a few producers here right around the central part of Iowa that, uh, are either done and now waiting for proper conditions to do some fertilizer application or, like you said, had some later planted crops that they're now waiting on, letting Mother Nature dry it down in the field or playing catch up to the dryer as far as their operation is set. So as you look forward, though, into the next growing year, did this year dictate any of the decisions you think you'll make for the next planting season? Oh, this year, probably not. I mean, I guess our crop rotation this year will dictate our crop rotation next year, right? Um, the 
analytics and the numbers still tell me to plant corn, even at uh, the higher anhydrous and, and input costs. Um, there is a lag on the soybean price or maybe an inflation of the, the corn price that uh, if we had the ability to store, if we had the labor, if we had the machines and the time, that we would plant everything to corn if we could. So as you're sitting there in the seat, spend a lot of time staring out the windshield, what are you doing to pass your time this fall that maybe other listeners would find interest in? Um, I, I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, Farm Profit Podcasts, best podcast out there, right? Absolutely. We can say that on Ag News Daily. Um, I, I just got my hair cut today for the first time for a long time, and uh, she gave me a couple of free books. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to start listening to some books. That's um, not where I thought you were headed with that yeah, statement. I, tr- I try to keep my mind thinking i do listen to a lot of music um you know chill me out but there's only so much music you can listen to there um a lot of tiktok i guess i gotta stay off like i gotta limit myself to the tiktok because that thing can suck you in right get get a nice deep wormhole there of uh entertainment have you seen the tiktok of the the combine putting the auger out and the grain cart guy oh crap i gotta go <laughs> that yeah that's happened a couple times uh we've also exchanged a tiktok of uh the guy that has expert drone flying talents oh. like you sent to me to where he flies around the grain cart underneath the auger past the wagon and then through the the door on the bin's not all the way open it's just the, the top, top third. door yeah, yeah. Goes in while the auger is unloading and the spreader is spreading corn. How did that thing not get taken down? I don't know. And I can't believe, like you said, that it didn't fall into the grain and yeah. then be gone. And then forever. he drives, flies back out the door. Yep. And then goes out and sees the combine uh-huh. in, in the field. Like, yeah. amazing. They have to be using a VR goggle, don't you think? I'd have to. There's no way you could do that just from your cell phone screen. The glare I want to I want to know that setup because I want to try it. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a lot. I'm of not going to try it with my drone though because if that thing goes down, that's a lot of money. <laughs> well, listeners, we appreciate you hanging out with the Ag News Daily Podcast. Corey, thank you so much for uh, sharing us your harvest progress and also for telling us about the Farm for Profit Podcast. We can't tell people enough about how great of a podcast that is. Do we need? Is this where we add the disclaimer that you're also a co-host of the Farm for Profit Podcast? I suppose. <laughs> well, I suppose when. When Delaney wants me to come on for a Friday farmer update and yeah. you're a co-host of the podcast, I'm a co you know, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get an ad. There you go, Delaney. You can tell we had a little fun with that, but all in all, gives you a good perspective on where harvest is at here in Central Iowa. Absolutely, Tanner, but I'm sure we're going to see maybe not things completely wrapped up next week on the crop harvest report, but I'm sure we're going to see a lot of movement here as we continue to push things forward. That's correct. But listeners, thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Jump on our social media channels, leave us a review. But what do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 